Well, throughout this Christmas season, what we've been talking about as a church is different postures of worship. And uh, the first week we talked about uh, lifting our hands. Second week we talked about giving gifts. And uh, just on Sunday, uh, we talked about pouring out our hearts. Now today, what I want to talk to you about is what it means to bow our knees or to kneel down uh, as a form of worship. And there was a particular group of people that when they came to see Jesus, they came bringing gifts. And that group of people were the wise men. That's right. And the wise men came, and this is what Scripture says. When the wise men saw their star, they were overjoyed. Now, why do you think they were overjoyed? They were overjoyed because for 700 years, they had been waiting for the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to come. And finally, it actually took place. Jesus shows up in the form of this small child, and the wise men said, this is it. This is the moment. Verse 11 then says, On coming to the house, they saw a child with his mother Mary, and what did they do? What's the scripture say in bold? Let's read this out loud together, all in one voice. One, two, three. They bowed down and they worshipped him. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Now what's interesting is that most of the time, when we picture the wise men, we picture the wise men coming to a small little tiny baby to bow down and worship him. Uh, A great theologian named Ricky Bobby put it this way. The eight pound, six ounce newborn baby Jesus don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant so cuddly Jesus kind of was there. But typically we picture a little bitty baby. And why is that? Because when we get Christmas cards, we have a Christmas card of the wise men coming and there's this small little baby that they're worshiping. But in reality, most biblical scholars think that when the wise men actually get to Jesus, that he's not a little bitty baby, but he's actually two years old. He's a toddler. He was more than likely already out of the baby stage, and he was into his terrible twos. And the wise men had traveled over 900 miles to see him. They left from Persia, which is in present-day Iran, all the way to where Jesus was at. And they think he was around two years old. Now, this changes the whole story, doesn't it? Because it looks very differently now if it's a two-year-old rather than a baby. I mean, think about this, just for fun. Right now, how many of you have a two-year-old in your house? Raise your hand. Do you have a two-year-old in your house? Okay, Several people raising their hand. Okay. Now, how many of you have ever had a two-year-old in your house? Raise your hand. Okay. A lot more there. All right. For those of you, how many of you have ever been around a two-year-old before? Okay. That's everybody. Every hand up. Now, folks, I'll be real honest, and I'll tell you uh, like it is. I used to judge parents of two-year-olds all the time. Before I had my own children that came to that age. 
I judged them like crazy. Before we had kids, I knew more about parenting than anybody else. I was an expert when it came to parenting. I'd see your crazy two-year-old at the restaurant pounding on the restaurant table with their fist or taking their mashed potatoes and throwing it down on the ground. And when this would take place, I would think to myself, they don't have a clue. I need to teach them how to be a parent of a two-year-old. Well, I would look and I would think to myself, they're clueless. They need my help. So before I had kids, I read books, I watched videos, I knew the whole concept of timeout and the importance of consistency. But when I finally had my own two-year-old, oh my Lord, everything changed. When I found my own two-year-old, everything changed. Now for a long time, Jennifer and I were very, very strong. We'd set down the rules We would make sure that timeout was enforced, discipline was taken care of. We would stand firm. We would say no to all the things. But then they wear you down, don't they? They just wear you down and they wear you down and they wear you down and they wear you down. And finally, we just couldn't take it anymore. And we caved. And we became just like those parents that I used to ridicule and put down. I'll do whatever you want. What do you want? Do you want a car? Do you want a little pony? Do you want a race car? Do you want a guinea pig? And I've been sucked into that for three times. Do you want a guinea pig? You know, I'll give you anything that you want. Just don't do that anymore. You know, the fact is, there is no other creature alive that will do what a two-year-old will do. A two-year-old will look at you straight in your face, will stare you down, not even say a word, and then poop in their pants. (laughs) Can we say poop on Christmas Eve? Hashtag, we just did it, okay? They will. They will stare you down. They'll look straight at you. You won't even see it coming. They'll just stare at you, look at you, and only by a trained eye, you'll look at their bottom lip and it'll kind of, you know, tighten. And then all of a sudden you go to them and you look at them and you go, did you have a little poopy? And they will look straight at you and they'll go, no. They are the biggest liars that you've ever seen in your life. They will say that all the time. Now, all of this to say this point. When the wise men get to Jesus, he's about two years old. And to me, that rivals the virgin birth. I mean, just imagine, you're worshiping and bowing down to a two-year-old. Now, I want to talk tonight about kneeling in the presence of God. Folks, let's face it, we are not a kneeling culture. You don't look on Facebook and people are, you know, posting, hey, just spent two hours kneeling in front of God. You know, it just doesn't happen in our culture. For example, guys, I have a feeling that most of you guys probably have only knelt two times in your life. For some of you, if you got married, the first one was you kneeled 
to propose to your wife. And there was some benefits that were behind that. Now, the other one is when you get your football picture. You kneel, you have your football and your helmet. And you're like, I'm cool, I'm tough, okay? But that's it, those two times. Now, women, I don't know if I ever really noticed that they ever kneel. Um, there's no football pictures. The only thing that I've ever seen before is this pose right here. Now, this is like a half kneel. It's not like a real kneel. It's just like a half kneel. Now, don't get that confused with the knee pop, okay? They'll do the knee pop thing there, okay? Just work with me. We're having fun. You know, it's, it's Christmas Eve, all right? And, and yet, when we look at God's Word, uh, culturally, even though we don't talk about kneeling at all, when we look at God's Word, you're going to see over and over and over again that Scripture lends itself to the fact and the importance of what it is to kneel in submission and in awe of the goodness of God. In fact, in Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, it says this. It says, Come, let us... And let's say this out loud together. The next thing, what's it say? Come, let us what? Yeah, bow down in worship. Let us do what? Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Because He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture. The flock of His care, under His care. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Now, the first half of the Bible is called the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, uh, it's written in a language called Hebrew. And there's actually a word that is translated to be worship in this way. And the word is Shakah. Now, don't get that confused with Shaka Khan. Okay? Those of you who were born in the 80s, I just gave a little shout out to you. If you weren't, don't look it up because you won't miss much, okay? Just stay focused. But the word is shaka. And it's 170 times that it's used in the Bible. And the word means to bow down low, to kneel in worship. It doesn't mean just worship, but it actually has this sense of kneeling in a posture of worship. 170 times we're told to kneel before God in worship. Now, one of the reasons why I think culturally we don't do this more often is that we fundamentally fundamentally don't comprehend how holy God is. That if we realized how big and large and holy that God is, that we would all immediately have a tendency to bow down and to worship him. You see, so holy is God that mortal man cannot look upon him in his essential nature and live. How do we know this? There's a guy in the book of the Bible by the name of Moses. He's the guy that was used by God to part the Red Sea through God's power. And one day, Moses thinks he sees God and he wants to see him and God says this. You can't handle my full glory. I'll pass by you, but you're going to have to cover your face. Because you cannot look upon my face and live. In fact, in the Old Testament, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. They 
lived or, or they worshipped in what was a tabernacle. It was a big tent. And they would take this tent all over the place. And there would be one special place in the tent that was called the Holy of Holies. And no one went in there except the high priest once a year. And only once a year. Because it was believed that if you were in the presence of where God dwelt, you would die. You would not be able to live. So when the high priest would go in there, they would actually wrap a a rope around their ankle to allow them to come in so that if they heard a thump, they knew that Joe died, he's dead, and they would drag him back out because they believed so so much that that was the presence of God and you couldn't be in there to understand that. So holy is God that mortal man cannot even look upon him in his purest sense and even live. And so the scripture says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. And when we come, we can say, God, I want more of you. I want more of you in my life and I want less of me. I want to worship him. Folks, you know, I can't think of a better time than at Christmas for us to actually pause, to take a moment. And to think about the God of the universe who has everything in control and yet he has your life that he longs to have a relationship with. And that God sent his one and only son downstairs from heaven to earth, not to be born in a palace, but to be born in a hole in a wall, in a cave. So that we would know that he is not too far out of reach, that he will not reach out to the lowest of low. I mean, based upon who he is and what he did, sometimes the only thing that you and I can do, if we open ourselves up to how uh, large and awesome God is, that we kneel in worship to him. So for the rest of our time, I just want to share with you briefly three different ways that you might decide that you would bow to God. Three different reasons why you might want to bow. The first is this. You might want to kneel in pursuit. This is your first fill-in. If you want to write it in, you can. You can do it on our JAR app as well. But for some of you, you'll come today and you may want to kneel in pursuit. In Mark chapter uh, 10, there's a story that's told, a very interesting story about a very rich guy. And this dude had everything that everybody else wanted. He had everything that anyone would need. And yet he realized that he was missing something in his life. And here's what it was in Mark chapter 10, starting verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. And what did the guy do? What's it say? It says it fell on his knees. He fell on his knees before Jesus. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, to be honest with you, I've probably taught on this scripture uh, since I've been a pastor 20 different times. But I have never noticed the posture of this guy. I've only ever noticed the question that he asked. What must I do to e- inherit eternal life? But when this guy comes to Jesus, the scripture says that he fell to his knees 
He literally collapsed before Jesus. He was so desperate. He knew he had everything that everybody else wanted, but he knew that there was something that was missing in his life. And in pursuit of this answer, of this question that he had, he fell to his knees. You know, some of you are sitting there tonight, and you might be at a point where you're like, I don't really know this whole God thing. I only came because, you know, it's the tradition, and we need to come. Or I promised somebody. But you've never really thought about what it would do to kneel in pursuit of God. You may believe in God, but you're not really a Christ follower. You don't spend much time searching for Him. In fact, some of you, you may not even know what you believe. You're not sure if there is a God or there isn't a God. You're not sure if this Jesus really is a part of... uh, It is part of truth because there's so many world religions and all of these kind of things. And I understand that, that if you have questions tonight, that you're here, but the reality is when you think of that personal relationship, there are a lot of questions you have because I've had many of those myself, and this is a great place for you to investigate that. Now, if you are at that place, though, and you're like, but I'm open, you know, I'm not closed, I'm, I'm open to what it might kneel in pursuit. I would challenge you to think of praying this prayer. God, if you're really real, if you're a real God, then reveal yourself to me. If you are there, if you're there, God, then show me. And listen to me. I just want to warn you that if you have that kind of prayer, if you say, God, just show yourself to me, I'm open to it, that get ready. Because when you pray for something like that, He shows up. Scripture says that when you draw near to God, that God will draw near to you. And there may be some of you tonight that would say, you know, this thing is so serious. And I've done the church thing, I've done different things, but this thing is so serious that maybe I should just take the chance. I mean, maybe I'll be wrong, but maybe I should take the chance and kneel in pursuit. I'm going to kneel just like that young man who had wealth did. He knelt before Jesus. Now, there are others of you who are here tonight, and you're a follower of Jesus. You don't necessarily need to kneel in pursuit, but you might kneel in repentance. You might kneel in repentance. You see, every now and then, see, every now and then, and sometimes often, you and I, we do things that break the heart of God or we break the heart of other people. You know, I don't know what it is, but Christmas has a tendency to make the good things really, really good, but it makes the hard things really, really hard. And so if you're If you've done something directly against God or you've done something directly against someone else to hurt them, this is a time where that sin becomes magnified because you think, man, there's this relationship in my life and it is not what it should be. And I'm the one to blame. Some of you might now, you might be smiling on the outside and everything's good and you're here tonight for Christmas Eve, but on the inside, there's actually... Grieving that's going on. 
Because you've done something, or you've said something, or you've hurt someone that you love, but that relationship's fractured. There's a powerful example of this whole concept of kneeling in repentance in Luke chapter 5. Peter was a fisherman. That's what he did his whole life. He just fished and fished and fished. He didn't catch anything, though, on one particular night. He doesn't catch anything. And Jesus comes up to him and says, "Uh, Hey, Peter, why don't you just throw your nets on the other side of the boat? Now, you've got to put yourself in Peter's role. You're the fisherman. You're the expert. You've done this all along. You're in this boat that's about this size. And this carpenter comes up who builds things, tries to tell you, well, you should put the nets on the other side. And I can imagine that Peter's like, why don't you just build me a bigger boat and maybe things would be better? Why don't you quit trying to tell me how to fish? I don't tell you how to build things. Why don't you just do that? Plus, I don't know if you realize this, Jesus, but if you throw the net on the other side, this is what fish do. You throw the net on this side, and they swim to the other side. They're like, la, la, bye-bye, we're over here, you won't catch us. And then if you throw the nets on this side, they swim underneath the boat again. And they're like, hadi, ha-ha, we're over here, you didn't catch us. So, Jesus, why don't you just stay with building things as a carpenter, and I'll take care of fishing. This is such stupid advice, Jesus. Uh, This is never going to work. But okay, Jesus, Peter finally gives in. He's like, okay, if you want me to do that, I'll do that. And so he throws the net on the other side. And the scripture says that there were so many fish that the net began to break. And Peter all of a sudden is like, oh, I forgot who you actually were. And look at his response in verse 8. It says this, When Simon Peter realized what happened, what did he do? What's it say? He fell on his knees before God in an act of repentance. And watch his heart. He doesn't say, Oh, I worship you. Oh, I praise you. Give me some more fish. This is good. Uh, I worship you. Look at how he responds. He says, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. I'm too much of a sinner. There's an act of repentance. Folks, this is the truth, and it's a beautiful thing. Jesus never turns away from a sinner with a repentant heart. He never turns away from anyone, regardless of who they are, if they come with a sincere heart of saying, I'm sorry. I want to change. There's some of you right now that you're surprised you're even in church. You can't remember the last time you were there and you thought, well, it's a good thing we're coming to a gym because at least, you know, the ceiling won't fall in on me. I mean, if we were going to one of those little country churches where it looks like a church, I'm I'm sure it was going to take me out. But, you know, that's not the case. And you feel kind of uncomfortable because you're sitting there and you're, you might even be thinking right now, you've ignored me a lot of the teaching so far, but now all of a sudden maybe you check back in and you've actually been like, you know what, I, I don't belong here. Is this thing going to hurry up? I mean, they said like this happens quickly, so I don't belong. It doesn't matter what you've done. You belong to God. 
He knew you before you were ever born, and he longs to have a relationship with you, for you to be in a relationship with him. And Jesus never turns his back on anyone who comes to him and says, I've fallen. I fell. But he bends down and he picks us up and he says, you are not your past. You are not what you did in your past. I have a future for you that is greater than what you'll ever know. Tonight, maybe there are some of you who are ready to kneel in repentance. That you would just say, God, I've sinned against you. And here's the good news. Scripture teaches us that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins, to cleanse us from everything that we've ever done before. So tonight, maybe some of you, you would kneel and say, God, I've done something wrong. Will you forgive me? And in that moment, what happens is Jesus comes to you and he immediately forgives you of all of your sin and he gives you a life of grace. So tonight, maybe some of you, you kneel in pursuit. Others of you, you kneel in repentance. And then finally, maybe for some of you, tonight you kneel in submission. You actually kneel in submission. Maybe for the first time in your life, ever in your life, or maybe in a particular area of your life, you're like, I've been trying to control this area of my life, and it's not working, but I want to do it my way. And maybe tonight you would kneel in submission. Each week, I have a wrestling match with my two girls, nine and seven years old, usually on Sundays. We're not very peaceful after church. That's just what happens in a pastor's family. And we wrestle each other. And I used to wrestle their mom, but she beat me up so bad that we don't wrestle anymore, okay? But I trained my two girls on the rules of wrestling, and in particular, UFC wrestling. And the one move called the tap out. Okay, you got to tap out. So when we're wrestling, if they've got me down and I'm hurting and I can't breathe, I tap out. And when I get them down, I'm like, you're going to say daddy is the best no matter what. And I've got them down and they can't breathe or they can't see. They, they know they have to tap out. And I've taught them what it means to tap out, to submit, to surrender, to give up. Now, growing up, I had a childhood friend named Chris who this guy never tapped out ever. It didn't matter what you did to him, he would never tap out. He was the most stubborn kid I ever met. Even if the person that was wrestling him was bigger and they were taking him to town, he would not call mercy. He would not say uncle. He would not surrender. No matter what, he would not do anything. He would rather pass out on the ground than to tap out. And the reality is, for some of you tonight, that's what your relationship looks like with God. You just won't tap out. You want to control your life. You want to control an area of your life. I want it this way. I want it my way. Listen, there are some of you that God has been trying to reach out to you for years and years and years and years. And he's trying to reach out, but there is an area in your life that you will not 
tap out. You won't surrender to his plan, which is far greater than the plan that you've been having, but you just won't do it. And some of you tonight, maybe you just need to kneel, to tap out, to surrender. What's crazy for me to think is that Jesus tapped out. Jesus, the one that we celebrate tonight, the Jesus, the one that we will lift up his birthday tomorrow, the one who was born in a virgin, who was born by a virgin, who was born in a manger, where he was born to actually die. Jesus, being God in flesh, he had never sinned, he had never gone against anything that God had asked him to do. That he literally became everything that you and I do that go against the heart of God. Jesus took on everything that you and I would ever have done to go against the things of God. And Jesus said, I'll take all of their stuff, everything, their past, their present, their future sin, I'll take it all on me. And it started getting so heavy, so weighty, that the day before he goes to a cross, he's in a garden with his disciples. But the scripture says this in Luke chapter 22. Jesus withdrew. He was with his disciples in a garden, but he withdraws. He withdrew a stone's throw from his disciples. And what did Jesus, the Son of God, do? What's the scripture say? It says he knelt down and he prayed. He got down on his knees and what did he do? He prayed. He prayed a a prayer of submission, a prayer of surrender. He says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, not yet not yet not my will but yours be done let's say that last kind of eight words that are bolded right there let's say this out loud yet not my will but yours be done not my will God not what I want but I want your will for my life and some of you that's the prayer that you need to pray tonight that you would say not my will But yours, God, yours be done. My will actually has not been producing much goodness, much much fruit in my life. So not my will, God, but yours be done. And I want you to know, folks, that when you kneel before God, it is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength. Because there have been so many times, the reason why I kneel so that God can help me stand up again. And when you kneel, God is there to help you stand stronger again. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. Let us worship now the God of the universe. Let's stand.
And that little secret is this. You'll either kneel today or you'll kneel later. But Scripture is very clear that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will proclaim, will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That one day every single person, whether you choose to do it now or you do it later, you will kneel before God. And that's what Christmas is about. That's what the good news is all about. That God sent Jesus downstairs to have a relationship with us. Let us pray. Loving God, we uh, thank you so much for this night and for what you did over 2,000 years ago that you sent your one and only son who actually was born to die so that we could be set free and made new. God, because of that, we come today to worship you. And tonight, maybe there are some of you who are here and you're trying to control something in your life. There's something in your life that you're trying to control. And you even recognize, I I need to let this thing go. It's been just weighing on me, but I keep controlling it. And if that's you, if, if there's an area of your life that you're trying to control and it's not working, maybe tonight would be the night where you would say, God, I'm going to give it to you. And so if that's you, if there's, if there's an area of your life that you're trying to control, you're trying to hold on to, if that's you, if you just raise your hand and say, that's me, there's this one area of my life I'm trying to control, let's pray. God, I pray right now for each person that raised their hand. Thank you for the guts that it took to take that step, to say, yes, I'm trying to control some some things, and I need to surrender, God. I need to kneel down before you. And I pray, God, that you would give courage to each person, that they would surrender whatever that thing is, and to trust you for your perfect will for their life. Maybe some of you are here tonight and you've never knelt down and surrendered to Christ before. And you recognize that I want to do that, though. I just never have. I've never made that commitment. And so if you're ready to give up control and to surrender to him tonight, to make him Savior of your life, I want to lead you through a prayer. And no one ever prays alone. No one ever prays alone when we pray. But... We're present. And so all of us together in one voice, I'll pray a prayer and just repeat after me, but all in one voice, let's pray this after me. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for all my sins. Make me brand new. I surrender. I kneel before you, making you my Savior and Lord. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, let's give a hand to everyone who prayed that for the first time. And if you did say that prayer, we have a gift for you up here. If you just come up afterwards, I'll be there.